0: Me and my friend Hal, we uh we went fishing one time anybody remember lakeview it used to be pu- open to the public it isn't anymore i don't think it was over in uh, walls you know one of those oxbow lakes off the mississippi river and this was before his dad got that new bass boat that we tried to see how fast it would go in reverse <laughs> but we, this was when he back had old rusty Broken down 10 horsepower Mercury motor. And we put that in the back of his 1971 Mercury Cougar and we drove down to Lakeview and we rented one of those cheap little uh, aluminum boats they got out there with holes in them. We plugged all the holes and we put the motor on and we had all we had was a paddle. We didn't bring a lunch or drinks or anything. You know, we was just happy to, you know, teenagers just happy to get it done. And so we started fishing. We had our poles now and, and we got a tube of crickets. And we were fishing for brim. Back in the day, you could catch some brim. Anybody used to catch brim in these lakes? I can't seem to do it anymore. I think they put all those Asian carp in there, and it just must have ate them all up. People just ruined stuff, man. That was fun catching those brim. Anyway, we were trying to catch brim. We were catching a few along the way. But by mid-morning, lunchtime, we had made our way all the way to the back of Lakeview. And that's pretty good distance and we were just kind of fishing our way back here, and we found some, a stump field. There used to be a stump field at the back, and, and I don't know if a tornado had come through and knocked the trees down or whatever, but most of the stumps about this high out of the water. Some of them about this high. Some of them under the water. You had to watch out for those. But we, we come uh, rolling up to that stump field, and it was good that they had the stumps because in my bare feet I could stick my big size 14 over the front of the boat, and I could hold us off on one of them stumps and hold us still because we didn't have a trolling motor. And we'd fish the stumps, and I'd be holding us with, the, with my foot on the stump. And we started catching them, man. We was catching one about every other stump. We was having such a good time. We fished all afternoon. We about had the boat filled up with brim. And uh, coming around, around, getting about dark, you know, about 30 minutes till dark. The, the sun had descended over the trees, you know, and I looked at how I said, we got a long way back with this 10 horsepower. This thing's slow. We better get get going. He goes, let me catch one more. So we fished a little longer, he caught one more, and he said, you ready to go? I said, well, let me catch one more. <laughs> you know, we was, we was pushing our way to the next stump. We was, had to paddle, and, we'd get, and I'd put my foot on the next stump, we'd, we'd fish a little bit longer, and I'd catch one more, and I'd say, you ready, man? It's really getting dark. Let me catch one more, until it was almost dark, and we started seeing lightning flashing over the tree line, and I said, man, we better get going. I said, let me catch one more. How many knows it's always one more? Well, you know what happened? We'll save it for later. If you remember last week, we talked about Jesus' 33. Jesus lived 33 years here on the earth, and we talked about the significance. This week's message is entitled, From Grace to Glory. And you'll begin to understand what I'm talking about the further we get into this. But I didn't want to leave last, message, last week's message without saying something more about Jesus' death on the cross. We really didn't get to that, did we, that much? We talked about his significance of his miracles and so forth. But his death on the cross and his resurrection, probably the two most important things that happened in the history of mankind. Would you agree? Along with his birth and creation and all that. But along the lines of his death and his resurrection, uh, sometimes I just write down what I want to say, and I wrote this. His death was one of the most contradictory events in history. What do you mean, Pastor? Well, I wrote, it was God dying for his creation. That doesn't seem right. It was super tragic, But on the other hand, it was super triumphant. It was terrible, but it was terrific. But his resurrection, hmm, his resurrection fully redeemed all of that contradiction, along with all the souls of those who would receive it. Oh, the exceeding greatness of God's power and his glory. And his wisdom. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. The world don't know why we get excited about the cross. Dude died on the cross. What's that got to do with me? But we who are being saved know that it is the very power of God. We know that there's awesome significance in it. Romans 11.32 says, For God has imprisoned everyone in disobedience. So that he can have mercy on everyone. Man, we couldn't have figured that out. What does that even mean? We, we're reading it now and in hindsight and we still don't know what we're talking about. What? Let me think about this for a minute. God imprisoned everyone in disobedience. Well, you remember what we've been talking about this whole series is this sinfulness of mankind. We can't do right. We want to do right, but we can't. Well, when he gave the law, it showed us what right was and it imprisoned us all in sin. It made us see that our sin was exceedingly sinful and that no one has, has has lived up to the glorious standards of God. We have all sinned. And now we're all imprisoned. And there's no way out for any of us. We can't earn our way back into his graces through our good works. We're imprisoned. Right? Would you agree? But verse 33 says, oh, say, oh, 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 how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. That through our disobedience, it allowed him to show his mercy to us. It put us all in the same boat, so to speak, or all outside the same boat. We all need to be in the boat, right? We're all outside the boat, imprisoned in our disobedience. But God showed his great mercy towards us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the plan we've been talking about all along that God had from the beginning. The plan that even the angels longed to look into the angels didn't even know what God was doing. They were like, I'm sure he has a plan, but I can't see it. He's dealing with these knuckleheads, and they don't, they don't do anything, he says. How could he even love them? I'm, I'm sure the angels were perplexed. But then God showed the richness of his wisdom and knowledge, and God's wrath against sin is settled. How is it settled? But from the very... Beginning when he says, the lamb slain before the foundations of the world shall be our substitute. He shall take the wrath of God. Do you see, God knew what he was doing all along. Before he created man, before he gave us a free will to choose, he knew what we would choose. And he knew that he would have to send a substitute because we would be imprisoned in our disobedience but he would be able to show us mercy and grace by sending the lamb slain before the foundations of the world to be our substitutionary, to be the substitutionary death for us that we might live. I'm just preaching like a a Baptist preacher. You have to hold on for a minute. That's good preaching, isn't it? I mean, you guys already know all this stuff, right? Y'all know all this? You need to hear it again. This is the foundational stuff that we got to stay stationary on. So then why, people say, well, why did a good God send people to hell? He don't. You say, well, they go to hell because of their sin. No, they don't. Jesus said it is finished on the cross. What did he mean? I have paid the penalty for sin, and sin is done away with. The penalty anyway. They put him in a tomb, but death couldn't hold him. And guess what? Death can't hold you either. Death can't hold you if you'll be a partaker of that same resurrection, that same power that raised him from the dead will raise you from the dead. We'll raise you out of the darkness, out of your sin. Ephesians 2.8. Now let's go to 2 Corinthians 5.19. For God was in Christ, you see, reconciling the world to himself. That means making, making right the relationship. Reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. So how do you say people go to hell because they're sinners? He's not counting their sin against them. The reason they go to hell is because they refuse to receive the pardon written in the blood of Jesus Christ. It's their choice. They they refuse to be saved. He offers them eternal life and they say, no, I'm good. I like living in the darkness. I, I would rather be here. They choose hell over heaven. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. It's God's grace. Does everybody know what God's grace is? It's Him giving us what we don't deserve And how do we activate it? How do we receive this pardon for our sins? By faith. By simply trusting in the finished work of Jesus. How many of you think that you're going to heaven because you're a good person? Hopefully, nobody. Because we have worked week after week after week to establish that fact that we've all sinned and fallen short but through faith in the cross. How many of you, when you get to heaven, and they say, why should I let you in heaven? You're going to say, just put it on Jesus' account. Because I belong to Jesus. It ain't anything I've done. You don't want your sins to be drug out in, in the court of heaven, do you? Uh-uh. Thank goodness that my sins have been paid for. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been made right, In God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand, and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory so you can have confidence in your salvation. When you have confidence, that's that helmet of salvation. Your head's covered, man. I know that I know that I'm going to heaven. And because of that, I'm joyful along the trip. No matter what happens to me, I know that in the end, I'm going to share in God's glory. And I know that as long as I'm serving him down here, I'll, sh- I'll be a reflector of his glory to this earth. I know that my life can count. Yes, we still live in the flesh. We still have a sin nature. There's a constant pull of this, this fallen earth that is pulling us down towards the pit of sin. There's a, do you, am I the only one that experiences that? There's a constant temptation to sin. There's a devil out there. I mean, we hadn't hardly mentioned him in this series. Maybe we should have. He's always trying to hide behind the scenes like he ain't real. But he's out there. He's trying to tempt us. But what do we do? We put up the shield of faith that we may quench all those fiery darts he's throwing, those ideas that he's throwing against our head to try to get us to sin, to try to get us to compromise, to try to say, oh, it's okay. You can, you can be a Christian and you can go to church and, and you can be good. You got your ticket to heaven. You can live like the world on the way. God will forgive you. He's always trying to pull us down. Romans 8, 6 says, don't do that. You have God's Spirit now. Yes, you do have a sin nature, but you have the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwelling in your mortal bodies. That same Spirit was shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Ghost, gave you the love of God. And love doesn't sin, love covers sin. You have the tools that you need to overcome sin now. Yes, it's a constant struggle, but we can be victorious, thanks be unto God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Makes us more than conquerors in Him who loved us. Romans 8 6 so says, so letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. So where is the battle at? It's in your mind. Just like you're saved by faith, faith is what you believe. It is of the heart, though. It's got to get down in the heart. But what you believe here and the gates that you open here is what gets planted in here. And so if you let your sinful nature, the old man, control the way you think, it's leading to death. The same place you were going before you got saved. The same kind of life, you understand. The wages. Of that kind of lifestyle. But letting the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, control your mind leads you to life and peace. So can you receive your salvation and have faith to to be a Christian and know that you have a home in heaven and know that he's Abba Father, but then let your mind run away with you and And compromise have its way with you, and you can live like the world. I guess you could, but is that going to make you happy? Is that going to fulfill you? Is that going to be a witness for Christ? Who was it said the other day? Was it me? Was it? It was the Word of God. Oh, I was in jail with me and uh, Nicholas were preaching. The part where it says, I think it was Nicholas that was preaching he said that if you're not working for me, you're working against me. That's what Jesus said. And I thought to myself, I know what that means. If you're not actively pursuing the Spirit, but you say, I'm saved, yeah, I'm I'm called of God, but you're not working for him, you're not you're not doing the gospel, then you're actually working against him because people are saying. That's a Christian. I'm the same as they are. I don't need that. It's not doing nothing for their lives. Dare I say the word hypocrite? That's that's tough, ain't it? But you don't you don't come here to get a soft message, do you? Do you not want to be challenged? Do you want to stay in your sin? I know you don't. You want life and peace. And I'm telling you the way to find it is to find yourself in him. Find your plan in him. you got to leave your old life behind. you got to leave that old man in the grave. Right off, even in church history, right off after we learned the doctrine of grace, the church, the early church, they begin to twist grace. And we see it going on today in churches today. They see grace as a license to sin. Well, God will forgive you. God's cool with everything, man. They see grace as a license to sin instead of the power to overcome it. Which is what it really is. God forbid that we should ever engage in the greasy grace that the devil wants us to partake of. Even back... Centuries ago, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, he calls it cheap grace. He said, cheap grace is the grace we bestow on ourselves. It's not the same as the grace that God gives us. It's the kind that we bestow on ourselves. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. It's estimated that some you know, I don't know what the percentages are. I could just make up a number. But some high percentage of people in the church in America today say, I said the sinner's prayer, I'm going to heaven. But there was no repentance in their heart when they said it. It's a cheap grace. It's an imitation of the real. It's not, they're not saved. It's not a magic prayer. It's a prayer that says, Jesus, you are Lord. I make you Lord over my life. I will follow you from here on. You take the throne. So if you if you said the sinner's prayer, but you had no intention of giving Jesus the throne, are you saved? Cheap grace is preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. You don't hear much about churches having discipline at in their ranks anymore because it's nobody tells anybody what to do in america right communion without confession cheap grace is a grace without discipleship jesus said if you're going to be a disciple there's certain requirements you got to take up your cross and follow me Grace without the cross he says grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate in other words you got you got a ticket to heaven you think but you really have no real relationship with Jesus you got a closer relationship with the devil than you do Jesus but yet I'm a Christian I got a bumper sticker on my car man I, I didn't mean to preach so hard today but we must rightly divide the word of truth in this new dispensation of time that God's given us. The age of grace. we got to know what grace is. We are now living no longer under the law, but in the age of grace. It's also called in one place the time of the Gentiles. And I'll explain that in a moment. Another thing it's called is the church age. So that's when God began to form church to give us people to do life with and to help us in this journey through this age of grace. Jesus never said it would be easy, although grace sounds easy. God's love is easy to receive, and we have all the tools that we need to succeed, but he said we must take up our cross, and that in itself sounds pretty painful. It sounds like it may cost us something. Jesus himself said we will suffer persecution. He said if they didn't like me, they ain't going to like you. He said we will suffer tribulation. One of the things he said that most people won't even receive the grace. They'll ignore it and they'll stay on that wide path that leads to destruction. It'll be heartbreaking for us who have received grace to see these people on that path. It should tear us up. Paul said in Colossians 124-27 in the New King James Version he says I now rejoice in my sufferings for you. He's saying I'm willing to suffer. I have and am willing to suffer for the church. It ain't what can the church do for me? Well, they got a softball league over there. I'll go to that church. I don't like their pews. I ain't going to that one. They, got, they don't have any cushions on their seats. What can the church do for me? Paul says, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you, the church at Colossae, and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. Is that saying that Christ didn't do his work? That he left something undone? No, Jesus said it is finished. He finished what his part of the deal, but our part still goes on. This is a partnership. For the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations. But now is revealed to his saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. Which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. Say Christ in me. That is the hope of glory. That Christ could live in me. That was the plan from the start. And we thought, man, if we could just get back to the garden and walk with God in the cool of the day, that would just be awesome. We'd be in the garden, but God had a better plan. It was, how about I'll be with you wherever you go? Be in you. How about if I answer Jesus' prayer in John 17, says that that they may be one as you and I are one. That there be a melding, a fusion, a, a, a coming together which can never be undone. They can only grow stronger. His Spirit in you, that is the hope of your glory. You can't find it any other way. It's why the devil fights so hard against the church to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. He gets in there and he yaps in people's ears and he gets people in camps and you you believe this. You over here, y'all need to believe this. When the whole time the thing was, God said, I want to be in you. But we do always resist the things of the Holy Spirit because we can't see them with our eyes and our natural tools. And so you have whole denominations that want to carry out the gospel in their own strength. That refuse the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I listen to preaching on on AM radio all the time, and and I hear preachers that I love that 90% of the time I agree with everything they say. They stir me up. I listen to their messages, and I receive from them. But then when it comes to the baptism of the Holy Ghost, they say some off-the-wall things and try to do everything they can to dismiss the very thing that God wanted to do from the beginning. Is Christ in you? The hope of glory. And I don't understand. It breaks my heart that the, the church can't get grasp that. And that's really the reason that I started this whole long series is to get to that. That is God's plan. Jesus said, Don't leave home without him. He told the disciples, go to Jerusalem and wait until you be endued with power from high. Don't do this on your own. You need this. I'll send another, the comforter. He'll teach you all things. Bring all things to you. Remember, show you things that I, I said unto you. He will be your strength and your power. All of them were so excited, man. There was over 500 at one time saw Jesus resurrected. You know they had to have the excitement. They were ready, man. I'll do anything you say, Jesus. A few days later on the day of Pentecost, there's only 120 in the upper room. But God said, that's enough. Let's get her done. And he sent the Holy Ghost and it sounded like a tornado coming through the place. Rushing mighty wind and and each person was lit up with fire, with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And these scared little disciples that would not even come outside the locked room for fear of what happened to Jesus are now boldly on the streets proclaiming this same Jesus. And 3,000 were saved in one day by the power of the Holy Ghost. Operating in the gifts—the same gifts of the Holy Ghost that are available to us today. The same gift that Brother Joe was operating in back in the prayer this morning at 10 o'clock. Prophesying. Word of knowledge, word of wisdom. The laying on of hands. These things that God gives us so that we're not a powerless church. That we have the power of God. Mm. I got myself happy now. Yes, the straight and narrow is not an easy way. (laughs) But I'm here to tell you today that you have every tool that you need to prevail. God has given you everything that pertains to life and godliness. He's given you that spirit and that alone would grant you the victory. But besides that, he gave you his name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. He gave you his authority on this earth. He gave you the Word of God. He wrote it out for you. Come on, somebody. There's power in the Word of God. This book is alive. He gave you His blood covenant, which cannot be broken. That's His promise. He gave you the whole armor of God to put on every day so that you can stand against the wiles of the devil, the breastplate of knowing I'm right with God, the belt of truth, these shoes that tell me I got some purpose and I got some stepping to do. I got the whole armor. I got the shield of faith. The devil can't tell me nothing. I got on my helmet. He can't lie to me about my salvation. I got the sword of the spirit. and I'll cut him up. I got everything that I need. And besides all that, he gave me all you guys to have my back. It's called the church. Woo! Somebody already preached themselves happy. The early church is miraculous. I mean, Peter walking by, people's getting healed by a shadow touching them. They're full, they're full of faith, they're full of love, and they're spreading this message like a wildfire. Well, the devil couldn't stand that. He had the Roman authorities and everybody else say, we got to suppress this mess. All the religious said, we got to suppress this mess. It's, it's undignified. I can't understand it. We got to suppress it. And so they began to persecute the church. And they drove the Christians out of Jerusalem. And when they did, all they did was spread the word to different places. And everywhere they went, they began to spread the message of Jesus Christ. And the, and the gospel is often spread through persecution. So don't let persecutions upset you. If you get run off to somewhere else, preach there. Jesus said you ought to rejoice when you've been persecuted For great is your reward in heaven. So why is it called the time of the Gentiles? Well, you know, God used the Jewish people all the way back from Abraham as the example for us to read. He wrote about them. He he gave the law to them. He he focused his attention on them so that in the end times we would all have an example. But the very people he chose rejected their own Messiah for the most part. Even today, the Jews do not believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the promised one, who would come and save Israel. And so God said, Okay, I'm I'm sure it didn't catch him off guard. He had Paul, he had Peter. He had the early disciples begin to preach to the Gentiles because that was his plan from the beginning, that he's not willing that any should perish, Jew or Gentile, but that all should come to repentance. So this message began to go not just to the Jews, but all over the world. This gospel message is for the world. Every tongue, every tribe, every nation. And so they began to preach to the Gentiles. Gentiles just means not Jew. They were known as the heathens. And so was I, praise God, I ain't no more. Whew. That's the thing. I ain't no more. I can't live like that no more. Because I done heard the gospel and it has changed my life. It has impacted me. But the Jews, they reject Jesus. But God's not through with them either. Though he has turned his attention temporarily to the Gentiles, and that's why we call it the time of the Gentiles. The time of the Gentiles will soon be over. When God has reached out to you and reached out to you and given you the opportunity to repent and have faith and you continue to reject him, one day he's going to say, okay, that's it. I'm not I'm not going to give this message to the Gentiles anymore. I'm going to concentrate back on my Jewish people. He says that he is able to graft them back in. What does that mean? Well, Jesus told the story about I'm the vine and you're the branches. And Israel was pretty branches and everything. But he had to break them off because of their unbelief. And so where they were, <coughs> excuse them, where they were broken off, we were grafted in. We were put in in their place. We, God turned his attention to us and we began to get saved. He took, he said he took branches from a wild olive tree and grafted it into his olive tree, which we didn't even fit. But because of God's miraculous ability, we were grafted in. And some people heard that news from Paul and they were like, Yeah, God loves us now. But God, <laughs> Paul said, wait. If God was able to graft us in, that we didn't even we wasn't even from the right tree. He's also able to break you off and graft, graft his original olive tree back in. And God will turn his attention back to the Jews. You hear a lot of preaching today, even from the pulpits, some pulpits. You hear it uh, that God's through with the Jews. Uh, nothing, they don't matter. Uh, we should, the church is the, the new thing. The church is the new thing. But he's never forgot the Jews. And the the same promises that went to the Jews, God's God's promises didn't end. That he who blesses Israel will be blessed. That didn't end. Those who curse Israel be cursed. That didn't end. And God's prophecy and everything is still being fulfilled through the Jews, whether they they understand it or not. So we love the the nation of Israel. It says we pray for peace in Jerusalem. I was to go a direction I'm not. Okay. <clears throat> Preach so hard to get out of breath. But God is able to graft them back in. But let's go back to the Christians for a moment. The Christians suffered much persecution in the early church, like I said. The Romans, they were ruling the world. They often used the Christians as uh, scapegoats for the things they did wrong. They just didn't like them because they they preached righteousness. They preached you ought to live a certain way, and the Romans weren't living that way, so they didn't like it. They tried to stomp them out, so to speak. The early Christians were fed to the lions. They were stoned, beheaded, flayed. Some of them were crucified like Christ, hacked up into pieces, burned at the stake. Many, many martyrs in the early Christian church. And you say, well... I'm glad that doesn't happen today. It's estimated that at least 11 Christians lose their life every day somewhere in the world because of their faith, even today. But somewhere along the line, the Christians were able to get the Roman emperor, Constantine, saved. This guy that had persecuted Christians, all of a sudden, God touches his heart and the Roman emperor gets saved. And he says, you know what? We're going to make Christianity the, the state-run religion. We're going to make everybody be a Christian. And that sounds good, doesn't it? Man, that was, getting that guy saved really helped us because now everybody gets to be a Christian. It's just a shame that Christianity doesn't work like that. You can't force it on anybody. Right? So he tried to make everybody a Christian. But that's not how people get saved. It's not a good thing. It was horrible. And state-run religion is a horrible idea. It always ends up with those politicians wanting to control the people through that state-run religion. And I think it's the real reason our founding fathers here in America mentioned the separation of church and state. It wasn't because... They didn't, they didn't think that God should be in the schools or God should be in the government. It was that they didn't think that the government should be in their religion. That the government has no say over when we meet. How we serve the Lord. Anyway, from the 5th to the 15th century, we entered a period uh, known as the Dark Ages. You know, I'm just going through these ages of dispensation, giving you some history and stuff. I don't know it all. If I say something wrong, you know, let me know, but I'm doing my best. I've got a third grade education. It was the time of the Crusades, of the Inquisition, and it was the iron rule of the Roman Catholic Church. You know why it was called the Roman Catholic Church? Because it was state-run by Rome. That's when uh, they got in a lot of error because the state started dictating to them things that weren't in the Bible, making them confess to man to get forgiveness, making them burn candles for people that are in an imaginary place called purgatory that you could pray somebody through. No, it's appointed once the man died, then the judgment. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. There's no purgatory. So there were a lot of things that the government Used religion to control the people. Yeah, go tell the priest all your sins. The priest to come tell the politicians what, who's been doing what. way to control the people. <clears throat> it was dark mostly because it was a time that the word of God was suppressed from the common man. That was the main way they controlled people. You, know you ain't worthy to read the Bible. This is the word of God. Only the priests can do that. That's why they started preaching it in Latin so that nobody would even understand it. A way of controlling the people. I'll tell you what God says. You can't read it for yourself. You're not qualified. I'll tell you what God says. And then they tell them what they want them to do. And then they got this whole works mentality that if you'll be good, you can get to heaven. That's where that came from. Well, one of the places... The church telling people you got to be good. That's the state telling them y'all act right. Tell tell everybody they got to act right if they want to go to heaven. Are y'all tracking with me? That's the time that's called the dark ages when the light of God's word was hidden from common man. But there's always been faithful men and women of God a faithful remnant who give their life for the gospel who truly believe in the great commandment and the great commission and their obligation to it men like john wycliffe who in 1415 was condemned as a heretic for teaching that the common people should be able to read the bible he was killed for even saying that that you and i should be able to read the bible for ourselves you've heard of martin luther the great reformation he's the one that stood up and said wait a minute the Bible doesn't say we get to heaven by being good people. We're saved by grace, through faith. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. He's the one that read the Bible and tried to explain that to the people. Of course, the, per- the church persecuted him greatly. William Tinsdale, he was martyred simply from tra- for translating the Bible into common English so that the common man could read it. Where can we insert your name? In Jude it says, earnestly contending for the faith. Can we insert your name there? Joshua was in the written as earnestly contending for the faith. How will it what would we say last week or was it the week before? What will be said of you? What will God say of you in the end? So anyway, now we're living at the end of this age, I believe. I mean, how much further could we go in this direction? How much closer could we be to nuclear buttons being pushed? I mean, where could we go from here? I believe we're feeling the birth pains that Jesus talked about in Matthew 24. It's important we realize where we are in history, right? Because this is where we live. Everything we talked about was looking back. But now we're to where we live. And Jesus said there'll be wars and rumors of wars and famine and earthquake and persecution. And there'll be false prophets. And the love of many will grow cold. There'll be signs in the heaven. And the gospel will be preached all over the world. And now, like never before, the Bible has been translated into almost every language. And there's very few places that the gospel has not been preached And those Gentiles, the time of the Gentiles is about to come to a close because they've had their opportunity to be saved. And it also says it'll be when Israel is regathered together as a nation. And that happened way back in 1948. The only nation that was ever dispersed for 2,000 years and God brought them back together as a nation again. These things don't happen by accident. God is in control. In Matthew 24:33 he says in the same way when you see all these things happen you can know his return is very near that he's right at the door. Mm. So this pre- present age is about to close. What's next? Let's turn to Song of Solomon. Is it in the Bible? It's funny, you can't hear all the swiping like you used to could hear the pages. Okay, I'm, I'll have to find it later. I've got it written here. Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 9. Song of Solomon is one of those books of poetry in the Bible that you may not understand what's happening, but I've always seen it through the lens that the young man, the lover in this One of the lovers is Jesus, and the young lady is his church. We know we're known as the bride of Christ, right? And so when we see these two lovers, and we see the intimacy in the Song of Solomon, I believe what we're seeing is God has given us a picture of the way our relationship with him ought to be. And he says... In verse 9, my beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. This is the church talking about Jesus. Or, or this is the, the the woman talking about her young man. Behold, he stands behind our wall. He's looking through the windows, gazing through the lattice. Have you ever looked through some lattice? You know, if you're standing to the side, you can't really see through it. You know, it's like... you. At the wrong angle, you can't see anything. But in the progression of time, you know, all these things I'm teaching you in this series, it's because we have the luxury of looking back and seeing things. And we have the luxury of all this intelligence and these computers and everything, things that other people, we have the Bible on our phones. We have, uh, we can listen to it on tape. We can listen. I mean, we have everything in our, and now time is speeding up. And as we come closer to the end of the age, I can picture Jesus like in a second-story window behind the wall. And he's standing at the window, and he's looking through the lattice. And as we go through time, and our understanding of Jesus begins to come into focus. As we move, we begin to get a better picture of where we are, who we are, and who he is it says in verse 10, My beloved spoke, and he said to me, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. What's the next major event in human history? It's when we come away with the Lord. It's the rapture of the Lord Jesus Christ. In 1 Thessalonians 4:16, it says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout. What's he been doing in heaven, you think? Preparing for this. Building mansions. Waiting for the day that we could be together. The Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God. It's going to be loud. The angels are going to be shouting, and the trumpet's going to be playing, and Jesus himself is coming down with a commanding shout. And first, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. I believe that means just the bodies, because their souls have gone on to be with the Lord, but their bodies will come out of the grave to meet their souls in the air. Jesus will bring back the souls with him, I believe. The believers who have died will rise from the grave. What happens to the believers who have not died? uh, They weren't believers when they died. Well, they're in a place called Hades place of the dead, awaiting the second death and the great white throne of judgment. But the believers who have died in Christ will rise from the graves. And then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. We're leaving this earth and there we will be with the Lord forever. So it says, encourage one another, With these words. And the title of today's message is From Grace to Glory. We're living in a time of grace, but we're about to go to glory. And I'm here to encourage you that our feet are going to leave this place. And we're going to be changed in the twinkling of an eye. And It's just as we see Him, we shall be also. We're going to be given new immortal bodies. This This mortal body will take on immortality. This will be like Jesus when, you know... He was able to walk through walls and, and do stuff after his resurrection that he was not able to do. And he'll never die. And we'll never die. And we'll be with the Lord in heaven. It says, encourage one another with these words. Encourage one another that Jesus is coming back for us. And you say, well, what if he don't come in my lifetime? What if I have to die? He said, Martha, they who believe in me will never die. It's just going to be a transition. It's going to be a promotion. If you die here, you, you're, he, Paul says, that I'm in a straight between the two, you know. I'd just rather go and be with the Lord. It's better. But because of you, I'm going to stay down here and finish my race. Anyway, I better start to close. (laughs) I knew this would be a long teaching today. we got one more in this series. We're going to talk about what happens after the rapture for us, for the unbelievers, for those left behind. And will there be Christians left behind in the rapture? I personally believe so. Because when I see the story of the ten virgins, they were all virgins. In other words, they were betrothed to be married to the king, the prince. It says five of them were wise and they kept oil in their lamps. And oil is symbolic of the Holy Ghost. They were the ones doing what they were supposed to be doing. They were awake and ready for his return. But five were foolish, fell asleep with no oil in their lamps. They were too accustomed to the things of this world. And then when the bridegroom came, the others were trying to scramble them together and get them some oil, but it was too late. And they got shut out. And, they, and for, in this instance, it looks like that there will be some who aren't living right when Jesus comes back that will have to suffer through the tribulation that should come here on the earth. Not saying that they won't go to heaven but that they won't be part of those caught away. Now, that's subject to interpretation. That's, that's my interpretation of what I see. You can believe differently, and we, we can still love one another. But I believe some Christians will miss the rapture, and then it, because it says uh, that those Christians will be martyred for their faith during that time. That's right. We're talking about... the. That's right. That's right. You're exactly right. But we're talking about the different past to get there, to that place of judgment. And there is a, there are two judgments. There's a judgment seat of Christ, and there is the great white throne of judgment for the unbelievers. Okay, so... Me and Hal are fishing. And that Wasn't that a great transition? And... And uh, we're saying, just one more. Let me catch one more. And before you know it, over that tree line came these big ominous clouds. Lightning and thunder and rain. And by then it was like, let's go, let's go. And we're throwing the poles in the boat and, and we're trying to get that mercury cranked and that thing don't want to crank, but it's too late. We done been too focused on on the things of this world, we had our eyes down instead of looking to the heavens. We were earthly minded. And we kept saying, one more, man, just one more, one more snort of cocaine and I'll quit. One more drink and I'll quit. One more party. One more time looking at that porn. And we one more ourselves until we lost sight of the storm that's coming. Man, I tell you, it was probably the scariest time of my life. We got the motor crank, but we were out there in the middle of the lake view with about an hour-long trip going putter, 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 putter with lightning striking all around us, soaking wet, thunder. I've probably never been more scared in my life. Revelations 19.7 uh, says, Let us be glad and rejoice, and let us give honor to him, for the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb. And his bride has prepared herself. Say prepared herself. See, we need to prepare ourselves. Because there's about to be a wedding feast, you see. She has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear. For the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. And the angel said, write this, Blessed are they who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added these are true words that come from God. Luke 12, 37, and I'll close with this, says the servants who are ready and waiting. Say ready. ready, ready. Say I'm waiting. I'm waiting. Are you ready? Are you waiting? Yes. The servants who are ready and waiting for His return will be rewarded. I tell you the truth, He Himself will seek them. Put on an apron and serve them as they sit and eat. That's how excited Jesus is that you're going to come to his house. He's going to put on an apron in heaven and serve you at the wedding feast of the Lamb. Jesus himself. He may come in the middle of the night or just before dawn. We don't know. But whenever he comes, he will reward the servants who are ready. Understand this. If a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would not permit his house to be broken into. You must also be ready all the time. For the Son of Man will come when least expected. I'm trying to get you to see that we're living at the end of this age and this could happen before I finish this sentence. I'm trying to get you to say, stop saying just one more, just one more. I'm trying to get you to turn your attention from the things of this world and prepare yourself to be a bride adorned in white, clothed in your good works and your service to the Lord so that you won't be ashamed that it's coming. And then when he says, come up hither, and that trumpet sounds, I'm gone, baby. Ain't no doubt in my mind. I'm waiting for it.